We're going to be talking about God being our banner this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17, we'll be starting in verse 8 this morning. During the War of 1812, a young lawyer was attempting to secure the release of some American POWs from the British who were bombarding the area around Baltimore, and particularly Fort McHenry. The British were just using their armada to just mercilessly beat on the walls of this fort all night. And the man who was sitting on another ship fully expected to see nothing but a pile of rubble in the morning. And as the dawn broke, the smoke lifted and the, the breezes blew the fog away. The young man looked out and he squinted off into the distance to see if there was anything left of Fort McHenry. And the sun, as the sun burned away the fog, the first thing that the attorney saw sta- still up on its pole was a tattered American flag softly waving in the breeze. Fort McHenry had withstood that bombardment, and the flag was proof that the American forces still held that fort and had not retreated further inland, but they were able to hold their ground. That young attorney, who was also an aspiring poet, took out his notebook and his pen and wrote down these familiar words to express his joy of seeing that flag. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous night or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly gleaming. Francis Scott Key, the author of our national anthem, expressed a complete joy at seeing his country's flag still waving after a fierce battle. Symbols, like our flag, they mean something. They embody the ideals and personality of a nation or a people. They raise up within us a sense of pride and ownership that for better or for worse, that's my flag and I will honor it because it represents me and my country. We see this on the military bases. There are two times every day where the flag is honored. Reveille in the morning, where the main garrison flag in front of the headquarters building is raised, and retreat in the evening when it is lowered. If you're outside during that time, you will have to stop what you're doing, face the flag, salute, and hold that salute until either reveille or retreat stop playing. And I remember when I was on military bases, there were some people that would, you know, they'd hear the beginning tones go off and they'd all run inside because they didn't want to to stand there and have to salute the flag. And I always found that to be a little bit disgraceful in my mind. I mean, after all, people had died for that flag. People had, had had that flag brought into them with into battle and had never come home. And I believe in honoring the tradition. I believe in, in standing there proudly saluting and remembering the men and women who had fought and died, defending the nation that that flag had represented. These symbols, these flags, these banners have powerful meanings to us. And I think that's something that God has engineered in each one of us, particularly those in the faith. The idea of honor and respect for those kinds of instruments of remembrance. In this church, we have the American flag right there on my right and the Christian flag 
over here. And the most powerful, the most important symbol that we have in this church, the empty cross of Jesus Christ right in the middle. The Bible passage that we're going to be studying this morning, God uses similar imagery to express his presence to his people. And just like Francis Scott Key yearned to see the flag over Fort McHenry still waving, God expresses himself this way, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is our banner. This name of God is vital to us because the nature of life is to be frequently faced with situations that seem unwinnable. And it's during these times that we need something or someone to look to. We need to be able to look through that smoke of conflict and see something that is, that is symbolizing what we are to be, what do we be aspiring to? Or, or to look through the fog of emotion to something that is rock solid, something that symbolizes strength, something that symbolizes permanency when the ground seems to be shaking underneath us. Moses and the nation of Israel are facing one of these times right now. Some of the background on the scripture that we will read this morning. In Exodus 17, Israel is fresh from being slaves. It's only been four, maybe six weeks since they have left Egypt. On some of them, the wounds from the lash and the whips are still on their back and healing. The bruising from the shackles are still visible on their hands and their, and their wrists and their, and their ankles. And now they're being faced, these former slaves are being faced with a huge army full of skilled warriors, experienced army, that wants to kill them. The hopelessness of this situation is compounded with the fact that none of these men have probably ever held a sword. None of them have ever shot a bow and arrow. They didn't know how to bear a shield. They didn't know how to throw a spear or a javelin. Military formations, the discipline of a, of, an, of a ground army, the training, the maneuvering, forget it. With the exception of Moses, no one in the camp has ever served in the military. And for Moses, that was over 45 years ago. Quite honestly, a Boy Scout troop down at one of the local churches here probably would have more of a chance at battling these people than the Israelites coming fresh out of slavery. And that's the background that we're going to read today in Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. 
Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because, my hand, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that in our time remaining this morning, that you make yourself the thing that we look to for our hope. That you indeed become the banner that we rally to when times get tough. That you show us your strength, that you show us your mercy, that you show us your concern for us, Father. And that we don't look to the things of this earth, but we look directly to the Lord who is our banner. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So what practical lessons can we learn by understanding that the Lord is our banner this morning? And why is it so important for us to learn this? Not just now Sunday in church where we we're, have that mindset that we want to learn about God, but how is this going to help us tomorrow morning when we're living our life, maybe going to work or, or dealing with Monday, the Monday morning kind of things? Why is it so important for us to learn this? Well, the first thing it does is it teaches us the correct posture. Surrender. Think about this for the moment. The only person with formal military training a person who is most likely a general in the most powerful military on earth is being taken away from the battle right now. Moses would have at least been able to help plan or give orders to help his people survive and, and win this battle, but instead he's being taken out of the battle and placed on a, simple, on a hill with a simple instruction. Hold up your hands. Now, what is the significance of this? If an enemy approaches you, if you're in battle and an enemy approaches you and their arms are held up over their head, what does that mean? Surrender. I surrender. That's what God is teaching Moses here. Surrender. He's telling Moses, this is not your battle, Moses. It's my battle. You're not going to raise your banner of victory over the Amalekites here, you will raise mine. I am your banner of victory. And as long as you maintain this position of surrender, Israel will overcome. But the moment you begin to lower your arms, the moment that you think that your own strength, your own knowledge, your own wisdom will have any bearing on the outcome of this struggle, the enemy is going to be able to overcome you. And that is a lesson for us today, isn't it? That is going to matter tomorrow morning when we go to work or, or face our, our normal lives. We see this another place in Scripture. 2 Chronicles 20 tells us of Jehoshaphat, who was the current king of Judah in that time. He's surrounded by an army getting ready to take them out, and the Lord sends a prophet to remind the king of this same idea. The prophet tells Jehoshaphat, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Let me ask you, what battles do you have in your life today? How many people automatically have a gut reaction of loathing or hatred or disgust when a certain person's name or a certain situation is mentioned? 
How many people, when you look backward on your life, see nothing but disappointment or heartache or failure? Then we need to, if that, if that is you this morning, you need to follow Moses' lead and surrender. Because the battle is the Lord's. Don't try to fight these battles in your own mind, but turn it over to the Lord. Let God be your banner today. And then you will experience His peace, His strength. And I know this is hard. I have certain situations and strongholds in my own life, past hurts that affect me even today. But we have to learn to let these go so that God can reign supreme in our life in our lives. And this leads us to the second reason we should remember that God is our banner, is that it teaches us that we need each other. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. If I were to say to you right now, Hi-o, silver! Away! What comes to your mind right now? The Lone Ranger. Most of us um, have, have seen at least an episode or two of that series that used to be on TV. The Lone Ranger would always ride into town and see a situation that seemed to be an insurmountable obstacle to the town folk. Maybe it was a bully gunslinger holding the town hostage with violence or some robber baron stealing the people's land or money or somebody making themselves rich somehow off the townsfolk. And the Lone Ranger would ride in and fix the problem with his trusty sidekick Tonto. Tonto was there to give brief snippets of wisdom or watch his friends back for any unseen attacks. And men, we kind of like that idea, don't we? We like things like the Lone Ranger. We like things like John Wayne. We like people like Rambo or, or John McClane of the Die Hard movies. The single guy who goes and brings down the bad guy. But the thing is, is that God never intends us to be the Lone Ranger. Amen. When we do that, we unwittingly make God our tanto. We make God our sidekick. Someone who simply watches our back, gives timely advice, and rides somewhere behind us. It's like that bumper sticker that you see once in a while that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. I saw a better one that said, if Jesus is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. God never asks us to enter battles alone. He is always with you. He will often send each... Others to encourage you, to lift you up, to help you cover your blind spots, and to help you walk with God so that He gets the glory from the battle. That's why our mission statement in this church is knowing God, loving each other, and serving our community. It drives everything that that I plan and everything we do as a church. And the loving each other is all about helping each other hold up your arms in these times of battle. It's to encourage you in your surrender to God. It's to help you to see your blind spots and discipled in the things of the Lord. And mostly it's to remind you that we will love you through it. Even if it means sometimes telling you hard truth. And sometimes the hardest truth is the third reason that understanding God our banner, that God our, is our banner is so important. 
is that it reinforces this idea that the battle is the Lord's. In Isaiah 59.19 it says that they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The reason so many of us have been fighting the same battles for years boils down to two things. Credit and control. As you've read the Bible on your, on your own time, when you've done your, your, your devotionals and, and reading the Bible and praying, have you ever wondered why God had the prophets of the Old Testament or Jesus, had, or Jesus himself or the apostles in the New Testament do some really weird things? I mean, there are some weird things in the Bible that God has his people do. Jesus would spit into the mud and rub it in people's eyes. Other times he would just say, go, your, their faith has made her well. He would never do things the same way. And case in point is a scripture we're studying this morning. Imagine for a moment you're Moses, and God is saying to you, instead of having you, the only person here with military training or experience commanding this battle, you are to go climb that distant hill and hold your hands over your head. Think about that for a moment, that God is, you're responsible for six million of his people that are about to be wiped out by this army. And God tells you to stand away from the battle and just hold your arms over your head. I mean, honestly, if I was Moses, I think my initial reaction or thought to that order may have been a little sarcasm. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would have kind of gone, hey, God... Yeah, great use of our available talent and resources. I mean, I'm the only person here who knows how to wield a sword. I need to send these people through basic training. They need to watch me to, to learn tactics and warfare, to learn how to string a bow and, and shoot an arrow. But you want to take me all the way away from this and put my on this distant hill where I won't be able to command anything and raise my 85-year-old arthritic shoulders over my head. And stand there for hours like that. That's, that. that's what you want me to do. No offense, Lord, but that's crazy. That's just crazy, God. The reason, that the Bible doesn't necessarily record such an objection from Moses, but I have to imagine there was some trepidation to God's command to him. And the reason was this was a test for Moses about credit and control. God was asking Moses, who gets the glory? You see, Moses had failed this test once. When he was around 40 years old, he was called to lead Israel from captivity. And instead of waiting for the next order from God, he begins by killing an overseer and then trying to rally people to himself. God said, nope, you need some additional seasoning here, Moses, before I use you. Here, go out in the desert for 40 years, shepherding sheep in a desert, and then I'll let you lead these people. It's all about the credit and control. As part of being a credentialed as a minister at any level of the Assemblies of God, you have to go through different seminars, which are classes in being pastor. And they're taught by the district officers or the presbyters. And I don't remember which, one of the, which person did this part, but I remember the lesson that was given and the question that this presbyter asked. He gave us a scenario that says, so you're going to get your credentials someday, 
And probably a lot of you will become senior pastors of a church. So you become a senior pastor. Things are going great. Church is growing. And somebody from the congregation comes to you and says, you know, pastor, I think that I'm being called to the ministry. What do I do? And so you send them you know, over to the Global University website and they start taking classes. And they get to the point where they're probably ready to, to lead a Sunday service and preach a Sunday service. And you let them. And as they start to preach, the Holy Spirit just, boom, falls in a mighty way. Does, that has never been in that church before. Dozens of people run to the altar and get saved. And you're like, wow, Spirit of the Lord is with that kid. So Wednesday night comes, and the usually sparsely attended service is packed. Standing room only. Again, you let your trainee preach. The Holy Spirit falls. Dozens of people get saved. You don't even get to go home until 1 a.m. because the Spirit of the Lord is so thick in the building and people are getting saved. The next Sunday, the sanctuary is packed and people are in line outside to get into the service. You immediately you talk to your, your worship team and, and all your other teams in the church to say, hey, we need to go to two services like today. You guys need to stay for a double, a double header today. And, so, and everybody's willing because the Spirit's moving. And you have two services, and dozens and dozens and dozens of people are getting saved. You have a baptismal service that night. It's packed. You, you, you dunk so many people that your skin is just all wrinkled and like you've been sitting in the tub forever. I mean, that's just the way the Spirit's moving. And the next Sunday, as a senior pastor, you're like, oh gosh, I haven't preached in a while and people are going to wonder what I'm doing around here. I, best, I, I probably should preach. So you, you, you decide it's time for you to get up and preach and people are blessed and the word is going forth and there are some people's lives in change, but the Spirit of the Lord isn't there like when your, your, your trainee was. So you let him preach the Wednesday night service. Spirit of the Lord falls even more mightily. And so he asks the question, he said, take a step back. Do you, as a senior pastor, take a step back and give that person the spotlight and let him be the primary preaching pastor now? Or do you insist on maintaining control and credit for everything that's going on in the church? Or do you take a step back and let the Spirit of the Lord move? It's all about credit and control. And this isn't just about churches and pastors. It's about whose banner you want to fly in your own life. Yours or God's. You see, the battle is the Lord's. And the Lord will use whomever, whatever, however, whenever He wants according to His plan and His purpose. And our job is just to let Him. And that's what God is teaching Moses here. That the credit and the control belong to Yahweh Nisi. He is the banner we follow, not a man or a woman. Amen. And the final thing that Yahweh Nisi teaches us is to always remember his goodness to us. Moses built an altar of remembrance. And you'll see that throughout the first five books of the Bible, or the Exodus through Deuteronomy, is that after every major victory that Israel had, Moses built an altar. We need to be altar builders. Not something, some weird thing in our backyard that we sacrifice animals on, but something, some reminder of, what, of when God has been good to us. 
We need to remember the goodness of our God when He has come through for us, especially during the times when He has moved in such a way that it could only be Him that got us through that situation. Most likely, Moses heard about the Amalekites and thought, well, I think I know enough about warfare to get us through this battle. But that's not how God gave them the victory. Through taking Moses out of the immediate command and control of the battle, Yahweh Nisi taught Moses and teaches us that he is our banner, the one we look to when the battle rages around us. And Moses considered that lesson so important that he built a permanent reminder to that lesson. We should do the same thing. We should always have something that we can refer back to. We saw that as an example in the the movie The War Room where the woman had all kinds of stuff in her prayer closet reminding her of, of answered prayer, reminded her of when God had come through. We should do that, go back to having prayer journals maybe. Go back to, to have, uh, saving our thank you cards or people where we have blessed somebody and they've sent us that thank you card and it's been because of the Lord working within us that something good happened in our life. Pictures of dedications and baptisms and people getting saved. All these things can show us that God is our bandard. The standard that we run to when the battle gets tough. Amen?